Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and thank you for joining me and and indeed welcome to episode 53 of Inside AgriTurf. This episode will focus on the future energy sources for machinery and equipment used on the farm and across the land. Uh, Everybody's wondering what will replace fossil fuels. Methane, hydrogen, battery power, They are all being considered and developed by manufacturers of tractors and machinery used in agriculture. Whilst in the turf care market, battery power is rapidly becoming the gold standard. Influenced first by consumer pressures over emissions and noise, and of course by legislation. Now many of you will have read that the state of California is to ban the sale of petrol engine lawnmowers, blowers, generators used by homeowners, contractors and local authorities after the 1st of January 2024. And in California alone, there are reckoned to be some 17 million machines that uh, would need to be replaced in time and indeed over 50,000 landscaping companies who to date have relied on petrol-powered or gas-powered machines. So in this episode, I'll be looking at some of the options being considered by manufacturers and ask what the future looks like for energy sources. Now recently, Britain hosted COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference staged during November in Glasgow. And it is, as a result of that, tempting to ask, was it a good COP or bad COP? I guess that will depend on whether you believe the doomsters predicting a catastrophic end to civilization in the next few years, or if you accept that there has always been climate change, which was almost certainly hastened by the Industrial Revolution in the 18th century. The engineers and scientists of today, following in the footsteps of the likes of Faraday, Brunel, Watt, Edison et al. are going to have to be at the vanguard of providing the solutions needed to put the brakes on climate change. Put simply, if climate change was man-made, then its impact can be solved and mitigated by men and women. But let me just reflect for a moment on those who shout and disrupt in the name of climate change. The placard wavers, marchers, the what-do-we-want chanters, doom-mongers, the professional protesters, all very well-meaning, but whom provide the media with the most quotable headlines and film footage. To, to my mind, you know, there are far too many scare stories and not enough success stories. I just wish that these people who follow the rhetoric of the blessed Greta Thunberg would instead commit to do, 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 instead of the meaningless blah, blah, blah. The future is in their hands. They are part of the problem with overt consumerism, the demand for the latest technology, cheaply made clothing flown halfway around the world and so on. But they are, indeed they have to be, part of the solution. I am, you know, extremely heartened by the efforts made uh, to introduce STEM subjects in schools, particularly uh, primary schools. Yeah, as an example, a group of pupils at the Walks Church of England Primary School in Northumberland 
have just designed an automatic watering system for the crops they were growing inside the school polytunnel. Now, not only did they learn about growing crops that provided food and nutrition, but they designed a sprinkler system that was solar-powered, drew water from a river, and used a class-designed sensor to trigger watering when the ground became dry. What a fantastic initiative from the young pupils and, of course, their inspirational teachers that indeed won them the National Farmers' Union Farmvention Prize for this year uh, with a trip to London to receive their prize at the House of Commons. Now, I'm not quite sure whether any or of those pupils will go on to be engineers or scientists, but actually to plant that kind of information early in their minds has to be of benefit. So everybody's got a part to play, from individuals in their homes to businesses large and small. And for each industry to tackle head-on, the most obvious elements are identified as being significant contributors to the climate change. And so it was either brilliant planning or a giant stroke of luck that the annual conference of the Institution of Agricultural Engineers, IAGRI, should be held on the opening day of COP26 with a most impressive warm-up act to herald its conference theme of future fuels in agriculture. And one of the most important things we can do in this decisive decade is to keep 1.5 degrees in reach, is reduce our methane emissions as quickly as possible. As has already been stated, it's one of the most potent greenhouse gases there is. It amounts to about half half the warming we're experiencing today. With the President of the United States, no less, setting the scene and name-checking methane in particular, it heralded one of the most pressing and urgent questions facing the agriturf machinery industry today. That is, how are the tractors and machinery required by farmers to produce enough food to feed a growing world population are going to be powered in the future? Of course, we firstly had manpower, then horsepower, then the introduction of the internal combustion engine, powered by steam, petrol, diesel, paraffin, kerosene, and so on. Um, Just to kind of show my age, up until a few years ago, I used to use a heavy motor roller at our cricket club, which was built around a Fordson Model N from the 1920s. We started it with petrol and a heave of a hand crank before switching to a tank of TVO, that's tractor vaporising oil, virtually the same as kerosene. However, we are told fossil fuels are so yesterday, so persona non grata, or will be over time. They are likely to be consigned to history as pollutants of the atmosphere, despite huge advancements in clean technology to meet ever more stringent emission regulations. Now, the search for alternative fuels goes back a long way. Why, Alice Chalmers even developed a tractor powered by hydrogen cells in the 1950s. But the public has been told that methane, and particularly methane emanating from livestock, is BAD, bad. Meat eaters are suddenly made to feel like an endangered species, but uh, go that tell that to the Americans, the Argentinians, the Australians, or many other in this world. I do think, however, the message is getting home. 
In my Tuesday night club, a cabal of former school friends, teammates in rugby and cricket, all in our 70s, with a fair reputation from the farming community who meet each week uh, at the Fox and Goose, which is a village just outside Salisbury, we all seem to have reduced our meat intake. But we now probably look for better quality and for the providence, indeed, of what we are buying. But back to methane, and particularly that emanating from livestock. Cow's flatulence, okay, let's call it farts and poo, are bad. Now, there are two ways of dealing with that. First, by what goes in must come out, and scientists are working on different feeds that inhibit a cow's methane production. And the second, of course, is working out ways in which to use methane creatively. One of the most interesting speakers at that iAgri conference was a Cornish scientist, uh, Dr Chris Mann, who had an interesting eureka moment a few years ago, which he revealed to a sustainability conference hosted by Prince Charles earlier this year, just ahead of the G7 conference held in Cornwall. And then I'd never heard about anaerobic digestion. I didn't know what it was about. And I was, I was in Florida on a business trip and a local radio station had a news, news bulletin and it said, and don't forget this weekend, if you're going away, don't cut your grass, bag it and leave it in the garage. And... Um, I said to Ron, who was driving me, I said, Ron, what's that about? He goes, oh, don't you have that problem in the UK? I said, what problem's that? He said, oh, people, they can't leave their rubbish on the streets, so they go away for the weekend, they can't come back to really long grass, they cut it on a Thursday night, come back on a Sunday, it gets so hot in the garage where all the air conditioning equipment is, the grass breaks down, creates enough methane and hydrogen, bag bursts open, they come in, switch the light on, blows the house up. That started a train of thought which resulted in in him uh, forming a company, Benneman, which helps to develop a system that quite simply makes use of renewable resources on a farm in combination with animal waste to supply all the energy needed on the farm, taking the site off-grid and reducing operational costs. He explained the process. And what we're doing is all about closing the cycle of energy. Sunlight goes in through grass, animals eat grass, They poo, they give off methane, we capture that methane as biogas, we process it, extract the methane. Importantly, we can store it as liquid or compressed gas, and we can use that to replace all fossil fuels. Okay, methane is a replacement for petrol, diesel, coal, and gas, natural gas. Interestingly, if you look at the methane potential, so now we're talking about making methane, one hectare of grass, coming back to that original story, um, will produce around about 20 tonnes of dry matter. One kilogram of dry matter will produce about 230 kilograms of methane. That's a potential of 4,600 kilograms of methane per hectare. That's roughly equivalent to 7,500 pe- litres of petrol from two football pitches, OK? Just to put it in perspective. What also people don't know about methane is, in actual fact, it's responsible in the shorter term for 20, 42% of climate change, OK? People talk about methane having a a, a multiplication factor over CO2 of 36. It's not. It's 86. It's 36 over 100 years because CO2 is in the environment for thousands of years. Methane is in the environment for 12 years. So if we want to do something now to impact the environment now, 
in the next 20 years, we have to reduce our methane emissions. Two-thirds of all methane in the atmosphere is down to man, okay? And we think we can take about a quarter of that out by what we're doing within Benerman. You'll also notice that NOx is responsible for 3.5%, and uh, fluorinated gases are responsible for another three, sorry, 2.3%. Add that together, that's very nearly exactly the same global warming impact as CO2, okay? 50% of all near-term warming of the planet. And these aren't, my, these aren't my numbers. This is the IPCC fifth assessment report. So a pretty compelling example of creative thinking, the kind of which will be needed by scientists and engineers over the coming years. Incidentally, Chris Mann says that the cost of extracting methane from animal waste with his system is more cost effective than installing and running anaerobic digesters. So methane as a fuel, as we know, is certainly in the mix. Uh, This work uh, of Chris came to the notice of uh, CNH, who have been trialling and are about to launch a new Holland methane-powered tractor. And as a result, CNH have taken a stake in Chris Mann's embryonic company. And you will find details of his company, Benjamin, on the show notes of this podcast. But... As Alastair Warshaw, who leads the CNH engineering development team, said at the IAGRI conference, there is no one-size-fits-all solution to finding alternative solutions to fossil fuels for agricultural equipment. Methane is most certainly one of them, he said, and with 180,000 biogas plants and 140,000 farms with over 50 cow herd in Europe, supply should not be an issue. He did add that the cost for the engine on a methane tractor would be more expensive than at present initially, but that storage tanks and the cost of ownership would be very much the same as a diesel-powered tractor. The big advantage is that methane is available on site for many farmers, he added. So what about hydrogen as an alternative? Now, hydrogen is an energy carrier rather than an energy source and is mostly produced from methane. So will hydrogen become the silver bullet to replace fossil fuels in the future in order to achieve net zero? Now, that was a question posed during a recent Ask the Engineer online forum organised by the Royal Academy of Engineering. And here's one of the panellists, Professor Rebecca Lunn, MBE, Professor of Civil Engineering at the University of Strathclyde. So I would say um, hydrogen is not a silver bullet, but it is vital. So it's something that we need to achieve. So the key thing to remember about hydrogen is that, as Alex said, hydrogen is not a source of energy in itself. We have to produce it. It is a way of storing and transporting energy in a very high-density way. And there are a number of industries that will need to rely on it because they can't use renewables. And examples of that might be aviation, shipping, and um, some industries such as the steel industry where you require very high temperatures. The difficulty with hydrogen is how you produce it. It's producing it in a low carbon way. At the moment, we produce what is called grey hydrogen, which we produce from methane, and that process emits CO2. So that's no good for a future of net zero. Then there is the so the one option is to capture that CO2 and to store it under the ground so that that can become a net zero technology. But that has challenges. We would we would produce how we do now from methane. 
Methane as a gas is 80 to 90 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than CO2. So we need to make sure that doesn't leak. We need to make sure we can capture all of the carbon and we need to make sure we can store it for thousands to tens of thousands of years for that to be a success. And then finally, we can produce what is called green hydrogen. And that's obviously where we want to get to. That's truly low carbon hydrogen and the fact there's no carbon involved in the process at all. It is through electrolysis of water. So we reduce renewable energy to split water into oxygen and hydrogen and to produce hydrogen that way. But it takes a lot of energy on current technologies to do so. Um, we need a lot of renew excess renewable energy left to do that. And we don't have a big industry at the moment because that is quite an expensive way to produce it. So we need to produce, grow that industry very quickly. Again, there is a link to that particular Ask the Engineer forum in the show notes uh, that accompany this podcast. So what about the other uh, tractor manufacturers? Where are they looking these days? Now, you might have read recently that JCB have signed a huge deal with an Australian company to provide billions of pounds worth of green hydrogen. And it seems not only for their own products, but to provide green hydrogen through an associated company to the a wider transport market. Meanwhile, John Deere appear to be uh, looking favourably at the electric route. Uh, we believe in electric tractors 100%. Their engineers are quoted the same ahead of the last Agritechnica. And that does mean full electrification to the drives to the engine and hydraulics. The company has already unveiled a concept machine, the Gridcon, which utilises a power cable dragged up and down the field, as well as recently an autonomous electric tractor. And one of the challenges for electric tractors used in large-scale farming is the provision of accessible power supplies to where it's needed. A new company called Grid Tractor has just been formed in the US to assist farmers in integrating the charging of their electric tractors with the available a grid supply. A Grid Tractor CEO says, whilst observing the rapid acceleration in, in electrical vehicle adoption, especially in the heavy duty sector, we realise that agriculture is an underserved industry in electrification. And considering the emissions generated by one tractor, we believe it is critical to help farmers adopt this technology faster and more seamlessly. And there he's really hit the nail on the head. The availability of charging points for cars is not growing fast enough at the moment. Electric buses and other transport and utility vehicles can usually return to depot. But what about getting a ready supply for big farming? The grid tractor is only just launching and only in California at the moment and will surely take other specialists to work with manufacturers of electric tractors are going to be a feasible option in the future. So I referenced uh, CNH, uh, JCB and John Deere. What about Agco? The company has recently reached a phase in its history that the new chairman and CEO Eric Hanziotia calls the third chapter following his appointment to replace two long-serving Agco CEOs, Bob Ratcliffe and Martin Richenhaven. Uh, during the iAgri conference, a spokesman for Agco agreed that there was no silver bullet nor simple solution. Hydrogen, electric, methane, synthetic, hybrid would all find a place in the market. 
He added, though, that as yet nobody quite knew what regulations would be in force, which only added to the uncertainty for development engineers. However, Agco Power, uh, formerly the Sisu uh, engine brand, now owned, by, of course, by Agco, has uh, carried out research at its manufacturing plant in Finland that suggests that the company is looking strongly at methane as its fuel for the future. It already has an electric tractor on the market under the Fent brand, the E100 Vario, rated at around 67 horsepower and which will operate for around about five hours under normal working conditions. And as an aside, of course, you have to remember that Agco itself was named after the Alice Gleaner Company. Alice, who were one of the pioneers of hydrogen tractors which probably suggests that they will be across all types of energy sources. Now, none of this is going to happen very quickly. Transition to non-fossil fuels is going to take a very long time. And anyway, this is just a snapshot, an overview of what possibly lies ahead. It is clear that all energy options are on the table at the moment. India seems to be leading the way in developing small electric tractors, especially for markets where small-scale agriculture is more commonplace. But the challenges really lie in coming up with solutions for tractors and machinery used in large-scale farming. Indeed, it's, it's interesting to contemplate whether the farmer's choice of tractor brands may come down to the manufacturer's offering of different energy sources in the future. There are, of course, more questions than answers. Questions about the recycling of batteries. Environmental issues such as the mining of lithium. As the demand for lithium-ion batteries grows, environmental groups are trying to stop large-scale mining of lithium at some locations like the huge Thacker Pass mine in Nevada. They say that the mining operation will produce as much damaging carbon dioxide as a small city in a year, with the resulting damage to the local environment. So, one of the world's solutions to climate change, electrification, then becomes a real environmental issue to others. Perhaps echoes of the fracking debate in the UK. So, as I said, nothing is simple and nothing is straightforward. I'm Chris Biddle. Many thanks for joining me. And this is... Inside Agriturf. <laughs>